Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 57 for Star Trek Picard, season 1, episode 10, the season finale at in Arcadia Ego Part 2. And oh my gosh, what a roller coaster. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagne. And I am Captain Sabriel Maston. Wow, what a roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, wow. I, I knew this was the season finale. I had a lot of questions how they were going to resolve things. And some of the things we did accurately predict last week, some things we were way off. But nonetheless, this was a really cathartic episode. I mean, the world is in such a state right now. We are all experiencing this background level of stress. And it was just good to have something concrete to cry about. And that's what I did a lot of in this episode. How about you? Yeah, I did too. Like, a lot of people are talking online like, oh, well, but a lot of people didn't have that emotional reaction because they knew their season two was coming. Like, I did too, but I still... Seeing this man who we've followed for all these years actually pass away and the relationships it had, the relationships he had with those around him and seeing their reactions, it was so heartbreaking and sad. Yeah, we are we are going to skip right ahead and talk about what happened at the end of the episode. We're certainly going to talk about how we got there, but there it would just be avoiding the elephant in the room to try to talk about all the smaller things first because... We, you and I, Sabriel, we grew up with Star Trek The Next Generation from when it debuted on Monday, September 28th, 1987, all the way through all the seven seasons, all four movies, and now Picard. We have seen Jean-Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart, as our captain, perhaps a father figure, a friend, somebody to look up to, somebody to follow. And in this episode of... Picard, we actually saw him die. We saw his human corporeal form that we have so admired for so long laid flat on the ground, cradled by those who loved him, and say goodbye. And he actually died. And that's not something that you can take back. That is now canon. That has that that's real. Yeah. Uh, oh. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Duh. Yeah, let's let's talk about the episode chronologically from from that moment, from when he was on the synth home world with all his loved ones, and everybody was so upset. And it's not surprising, even though they haven't known him for that long, he's just meant so much to them in such a short amount of time. And he said to Rafi, his last words, in fact, before he died, were to Rafi, and he said, "You were right." Yeah, and she's like, "About what?" And that was it. I mean, on a concrete level, you could say that he probably meant he was right. She was right about the conspiracy that it was Romulans who created the attack on Mars. But I don't feel like that's something he would bother to confirm with his dying breath. I feel like he was referring to something more abstract than that. But I have no idea what that might be. Is there a line that we may have forgotten in these last ten episodes where she was talking about death? I mean. Yeah, it felt like it could fit that, what he said, but it doesn't feel like it did fit that, or it was that. I don't know. I mean, if 
if she had said something somewhere along the line about, you know, it's important to tell your loved ones how much you mean to them or they mean to you, but while you have the chance, then he might have said, you were right. And because in that previous episode, he said to Rafi, I love you. And that would make sense. But there was no such dialogue. There was no such exchange. So I don't know what he was referring to. Maybe that is intended to be a mystery for our future or, or the, what someone says on their deathbed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that could be his dying breath was unknown. Kind of like when Bill Murray whispered something to Scarlett Johansson at the end of the movie, lost in translation. You know, he clearly said something to her on set. There had to be words spoken there, but we'll never know what they were. They were not related to the audience in the movie. And Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson have never told us what they were. And so it's just a mystery that we live with. It has meaning to the people who said it, but that meaning is exclusively for them and not for us voyeuristic audience members. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I follow discussions of Star Trek and whatnot, and if anyone has had an answer to this question, I have not, it has not come across my purview yet. Because there's a lot of people wondering, what did he mean? What did he mean? And, you know, there's always a possibility, as, you know, I don't mean to jump around too much, but he is now still around and could tell us someday. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Rafi says three seasons down the road, what was it that you meant? Because these things tend to come back, kind of like in Cheers, where one of our favorite characters, Coach, was around for the first three seasons when the actor then died, and they wrote off the character to say that he died as well. And there were times, like in episode in season seven or eight, where Carla might suddenly break down to Sam and say, I miss him so much. You know, and like they don't forget their roots, they don't forget their history. And I don't think it's going to come back up in a future Picard, but there's always the potential for closure if Picard and Raffi have another emotionally intimate moment somewhere down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are multiple cry moments for me. I wrote, <laughs> I don't have much for notes in here, but I have cry moments written down. The first one was uh, seven and Rios. I won't go too much into it because these two, they did not have much of a history with Picard personally, but Picard was a connection to them in their something in their past. And they were having a tough time in this as well. It's like this legendary figure. Clearly this man is a legendary throughout the Federation and they were with him when he passed away or around him. But then right afterwards, uh Elnor and Rafi are sitting out in a hill behind the house. Elnor just loses it. And balls into Rafi's arms. And that really hit me. And uh, Rafi got to be motherly for him. Yeah. Yeah, you're not alone in that. When I finally saw somebody else crying, somebody else choosing not to be stoic or choosing to self-medicate, that's when I lost it too. And it was so nice to see that just like how he gave Seven of Nine, another space mom, a big hug earlier when she showed up, Rafi was there for him as well. Because he is just a kid and i i was a kid when i met captain picard as well El elnor has been we mentioned it a number of times elnor has been the child view from everything that's going on here in this in this series uh from his childlike questions like are you going to assimilate me to seven <laughs> or uh earlier in this episode he asked seven I was like 
Atar, he's talking about maybe the XPs should just kill themselves because no one likes them. Uh, but he doesn't mean it in a... He never meant it in a cruel way. He meant it as like, well, the world, universe doesn't like you. Why not make it easier on yourself kind of thing? And she's like, should I have done that? And he's like, no, well, no, I would have missed you. But it's the way he talked was so childlike. Uh, and I feel like, I like, I'm glad they had that connection. Because, you know, maybe it's some kind of parallel to like Data. Data was very childlike in many ways. Uh, maybe Elnor is that facet of him in this series. Yeah, we've certainly seen Elnor kill people before. But this may nonetheless be his first time losing somebody close to him. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what his childhood was like if the Romulan disruption of all the places that they might have lived caused him to lose people, but this is the first time we've seen him lose somebody he cared about. Yeah, you made a good point. Like, there's the killer, Elnor, and then this is the very, like, he turns it off and turns into child Elnor. And sometimes they kind of mix, mix and match a bit here, but it's very, uh, that's an interesting about the character. I hadn't really thought of deeper than that. Yeah, we've only ever seen him kill people whose names he didn't know, really. Yeah, he tried to kill people, but they were they had the uh, plot armor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was that. So, and so, so if I recall, after the two scenes, one with Rios and Seven, one with Elnor and Raffi, after that, we see Picard wake up. Is that what happened next? Yeah, we had the, the quantum scene. Yeah, uh, and then but but in quote unquote real world, uh, it was back. He wakes up. Yeah, and at this moment, I was thinking, he, okay, they—he's not dead. There must be some element of his, that's been saved. But he's not dreaming. He's actually talking to the consciousness of Commander Data, which has in fact been preserved all these years. And just like how we saw him talking to Data way back in Episode One in dreams, now this is the real Data, or at least a back above him that was made briefly before his death in Nemesis. Yeah, he had a favor to ask of Picard. One more thing he wanted. Yeah, and I mean, they they had a lot of heartfelt exchanges here, and we found out that Data was aware that Picard loved him as well, which is something that, unlike with Raffi, Picard never actually said. Not even in this episode. He still didn't actually say it. Yeah, that's one of the few notes I have. Like, Picard didn't say I love you. Data said it for him. Yeah, I guess... I don't know. I feel like it was a missed opportunity. I, 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 even if Data knew it, I still would have liked to have heard Picard say it. He, we've seen him say it to Raffi, and it would have been a very touching last thing to say to Data as he made his way out of the room. Maybe there was some kind of intentional choice by the directors for that then. I don't know I'm if sure. I have it, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this was intentional. I'm sure was I'm sure they were aware of what they were doing, that they were like, well, as long as they know it, it doesn't need to be said. But <laughs> for me as an audience member, not being the director, what I would have liked to have seen is to have him said it. But, you know, there are other ways to show that you love each other. And as you said, Data had a request to make, and Picard showed his love for Data by fulfilling that request at great expense to himself. Yeah, I had a little funeral for him. Like basically a little wake as he unplugged uh, Data's USB sticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Data, just like Robin Williams and Bicentennial Man, want to do the most human thing, which is to die. And that's all Data ever wanted to do ever since Encounter at Farpoint was be more human. And 
this is the way that he could do it. I thought Data was maybe meaning that he didn't want to exist as solely a quantum consciousness or whatever, that he felt that his current existence was some sort of a hell, kind of like in the movie Code Source with Jake Gyllenhaal. But no, he actually didn't seem to express either satisfaction or dissatisfaction with the state of his consciousness. He just felt that he wanted to complete what had begun in Nemesis, and that was to die. Yeah. Uh, watching this episode the first time, I realized there were some similarities to The Good Place. You've seen that. So I funny you should mention that, because the night before I watched the season finale of Picard, I watched the second season finale of The Good Place. I've only seen through the first two seasons, and I want to watch the rest. So if what you want to talk about is season three or four, please don't spoil it for me. I will not. Uh, like I Thank just you. Said, there were some similarities in okay. Data's plate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you could extrapolate if you watch a good place. So I wouldn't think it's really a spoiler. But um, yeah, uh, there was just switch to something happy for a moment. Uh, it, it, it made you happy. You said no, no. To switch to something happy. Oh, I'm sorry. When Picard does remove Data's thumbsticks. And or when data does re- when Picard does remove data's USB thumb drives, we <laughs> see it happen in stages. And as each drive is removed, we see data do something that he's never done before, which is get older. And that was so beautifully done. It was so heart wrenching as well. Yeah, it was a slow transition to see that. Like you, when you look for it, like oh yeah, wow. Uh, this is happening right now. And to see what looked like a younger Picard sitting at his bedside as he finally fades away. Yeah. Oh, wow. When that shadowy figure first showed up and took Data's hand to let him know that he wasn't alone as he died, did you immediately know who it was? Uh, to me, I did, because I, I saw the red command shirt and, like, and the, the head. <laughs> so... Yeah, when there there was a certain angle where you could see both of those things, but the very first cut was a close up, and it was just a hand reaching for data. Oh, then I do not remember off the top of my head. Because I first thought it might be Lull, so that he was dying with family. Uh-huh. But then I thought, no, that doesn't make sense. I mean, how would they recast that? It would they'd have to shadow it in a way that you can't see who it is. And then I thought, well, this whole season they've been referring to Dodge and Soji as Data's daughters, especially in that painting that he made. So I thought maybe it's her. Maybe, again, he is dying with family. But it wasn't that either. And to be honest, that might have been a little strange because those characters never actually met. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Despite all this. Yeah. uh, Picard was And so it... Yeah. Yeah, and it ended up being Picard or some version of him, the way that Data remembered him. And I thought, of all the possibilities that ran through my head of who could be with him in his last moment, that was the best choice. That was the most fitting. And I loved that they did that. Yeah, that was a great little scene. Like, so you hear him in his robe like he is in all good things. Uh, in a chateau uh, with Dana, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Enjoying some music and some wine. Enjoying the moment. Then he realizes this is the end. And he goes to lay down. And there's Picard with him. Wait, what? I'm sorry, I may have missed that. Was this the chateau from All Good Things? Uh, no, I don't think it was it. It was just it was similar. He lived in uh, 
Data lived at like, Cambridge? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. Either Bathory, Cambridge or Oxford or something. Chateau, yeah. I'm calling it a chateau, but uh, old house. Yeah. Okay. That would have been a, a really neat callback if it had been that. Now I want to go back and compare. Uh, um, they don't look and, anything like. I just saw, happened to see that scene this morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he was listening to the same song that began the whole Picard series. Yeah, and it was sung by the actress who played Soji. Oh, I didn't know that. I I feel bad that her name is Casey and it went, but um, she was in Hamilton. I didn't know that either. Wow. So that, in a way, she was there with him. Yeah, uh, you're right. She was. Um, That's kind of fitting to have her sing that. And um, you, you would point out to me that that was the song before sang at the end of Nemesis, right? Yeah, and it's also Data sang it at the Tri Rikers wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and and I because you had pointed that out to me in Transporter Lock, I remembered it when I was watching this episode of Picard. And just all these things that they wove together made for a really powerful scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I have to ask, though, or actually two things about Data. One is, he already died once before in Nemesis. Why did we have to watch him die a second time? <laughs> Oh, gosh. We saw him die, but I suppose this question is the show pops up and questions how does an immortal being die? Immortal-ish? Like, I, I, I call elves, uh, like in Tolkien elves, I call immortal until killed. That's uh, <laughs> uh, kind of data, too. That's true. You know, you're right. After Nemesis, we all had this question of what happened to B4? And we got a little bit of an answer to that in the first episode of Picard where we see his disassembled body, but we never really found out satisfactorily, at least for me, what happened to his memories. And this does tie that up, so that's a good point. The only other concern I have about this is I feel like it would have been a lot more impactful if they hadn't made the same mistake here that they did with Arium in Discovery, where Arium died shortly after we finally got to know what her story was. And here, we didn't know Data's consciousness still existed until Picard woke up in the quantum recreation and started talking to him. If we had known all season that there was some element of Data, or even if we had found out last week when they first showed up on the synth homeworld, I feel like it would have been maybe more meaningful. Not, I can't Now that I think about it, I can't say that for sure, but it feels like they brought him back just in time to kill him. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that feeling. Um, I can see both ways. Like, like, part of it is like, for all we know, this more or less was the entire existence of Data after, after he uh, this quantum state, as he put it. But uh, yeah, could there have been more emotion evoked, even more emotion evoked, uh, if we had known? that subconscious of data was around. Yeah, I, I don't know. It did leave me questioning, though. I had that almost jokey poll that we talked about last week on Twitter, and one of the options was, how is season one going to end with data being resurrected? And some people voted for that. And here we were, Picard's consciousness talking to data's consciousness. One of them is going to walk through that door and be resurrected as a golem. And I was like, 
is there any possibility that both of them can go out and kind of like Tuvix, we now have both characters? <laughs> I mean, that, that occurred to me, and I wondered what's going to happen to Data. Is, is Picard really the only one who's going to walk through that door? The immediate moments after he woke up, uh, Picard woke up, I had to giggle at the show on the side of the fandom for a second. Where Picard was like, oh, did you make me immortal? <laughs> and and soon was like, no, we've been listening. <laughs> but then it kind of goes into like the whole thing of like androids being immortal. Uh, he does bringing Data or Picard back do that? And uh, I love how they're like, no, just no <laughs> uh, reasons. We, we like we we here's our. Ex- expose on uh, no <laughs> we, we were listening it's not going to happen we brought you back because we want season two uh well not only that but picard had just learned from data that a butterfly that never dies is never truly a butterfly and yeah. so for picard to be immortal would be to curse him with the same curse he had just lifted from data i mean imagine that all data ever wanted to do was to be human and the person he learned that from among others was picard and as soon as Picard gives Data his wish, we turn around and make Picard less human. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I love that they did that. I love they're like, no, we've been listening. I mean, I love that scene. I just freaking loved it. <laughs> I, I do wish, though, that they'd give him another 10 years, maybe 20. <laughs> that was also cute. And his little facial reactions when he's saying it, too. Was like, this little, like, shrug, like, a little bit more. <laughs> So I I do love that they brought him back, but I feel like there are two scenes missing from that moment. One is we saw Seven and Rios and Elnor and Rafi all crying because, as far as we know, they thought Picard was dead. And we didn't see the moment where they found out that he wasn't. Yeah, um, maybe they were present when Gerardi, uh at all were putting the, I don't want to say engrams, uh, cat, no, the brain stuff uh, into the golem. So maybe they were, I mean, they were clearly around still. So uh, I guess they knew, but maybe, maybe it wouldn't have been, maybe it would have been weird to say your goodbye and then to say hello again to someone who is, but isn't the man you just saw die. Do you think, in those real-world scenes where we saw them crying, like looking out on the ocean or looking at down on the city, do you think they knew at that moment that Picard, his brain had been saved, or do you think that they thought he was gone forever? I think they thought he was gone forever. Me too. And that's the question that comes up on Star Trek. Like, <laughs> this happens time and time again. Is this person the same person? Is Spock the same Spock who died? Uh, is... When you get beamed somewhere, is the one who reappears the same person who left the ship? Uh, these kind of philosophical questions kind of get asked all the time, but never answered. You know, that's a really good point about this happening to Spock in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I was, I, I, I'm satisfied with how the transporters work. That's matter transportation, not replication. But I was trying to think, like, when have we ever seen a character die and then come back in another body? And it would be Spock. So that, that's a great point. There is precedent for this. The Spock that we knew through all those movies, even the rebooted ones, is technically not the one that we grew up with because that's the one who died 
in the antimatter chamber. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. One other moment that I, maybe this would have been macabre, but I feel like it would have brought closure is I would like for Picard's new body to have had the opportunity to say goodbye to his biological body. That would have been an interesting scene. What's it like saying goodbye to yourself? And I feel like some other shows have done that, but I don't know if we've seen that in Star Trek, at least quite like this. Yeah, the John Scalzi novels in the Old Man's War universe, the very first book, and this happens in one of the very first chapters, when you get to be a certain age, you have the option to enlist in the military. And when you do that, since you're like already 80 years old and you're not going to be great in the military, what they do is they transfer your consciousness to a new body, and they basically hook up the new body and the old body right next to each other. And one moment, you're in your old body looking at the new one, and the next moment, you're in the new body looking at the old one. And the, the character has this great moment where after his old body has been shut down, he walks over to it, says thank you to it, and then takes the wedding ring off it and puts it on his own hand. Oh, wow. And I just thought that was a, a great moment where it's still the same person, but he's acknowledging that he is different now and that his biological vessel carried him through the first 80 years of his life and it's still him, but now he's moving on in a different vessel. And I would have liked to have seen something like that with Picard. That's fascinating. Yeah. And again, it's not much of a spoiler because it happens right away in the first <laughs> book. But, uh, however... Picard did do in this movie exactly what Professor Xavier did in the movies, which we talked about last week. He died and came back in a different body. He's really being typecast here. You're right, you're right. <laughs> I wonder if Patrick Stewart was like, oh, not this again. <laughs> oh, no, not again. <laughs> but I did love, I mean, as you point out, you know, they didn't give him any new bodies for him to acclimate to. And I had been wondering, how are we going to take an aging actor and put him in an immortal superpowered body and expected to be the same character in the next season and they answered all of that and i love it yeah that's just a question like that and also like we've talked about a couple times here on the show where brent spiner was like we can't keep putting data on the screen because he gets older i get older <laughs> right he's supposed to be immortal and here they're like we have an answer for that too now i mean it's 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 answers things on so many different levels yeah and i wonder if those settings like the aging rate are fixed or if like he could go back to the shop Picard and say hey you know what could you slow down my age and make me last a little bit longer <laughs> I don't I don't think that's gonna happen but if I was in Picard's shoes I was I, or rather in his body I'd be wondering can I fiddle with this a little bit please <laughs> customize it you know I could have gone for like some younger man's muscles <laughs> right you know just swap out is he modular I don't know <laughs> Like, I mean, what if he gets decapitated? Will he just be, like, in Time's Arrow? Will he just be Picard's head sitting there? Dane, well, that was a pisser. We still don't have an answer to where that data head came from. <laughs> um, really? I, th I thought it was a time loop or something. Uh, hmm. I could be mistaken. I, I think when he grabbed the scepter and his body exploded Maybe. and then... I could be mistaken. Anyway, um, anyway that's, a, that's a different podcast. <laughs> yep, yeah, the podcast it just talks about that one scene. Uh, or one episode. Uh, I'm sure Random Trek has covered it. Maybe. Um, uh, this the the finality of the golem is interesting. Uh, Picard says to assume like my gain is your loss. Uh, this makes it sound like it's never going to happen again. At least in this timeline. I think that's because Bruce Maddox is gone, and he was his contribution was essential to creating that singular golem. I think that's. 
I, I, I'm saying like, I'm glad they took that take. Uh, like this is not going to be an answer for every show. Like now, now every time a character dies, they're like, well, we can just replicate a body. Uh, basically, there, there was the finality of it, that finality of it that uh, I can appreciate. Because like we're in this world where we have a space science answer for everything except death. I like that. There was a Star Trek, maybe it was Strange New Worlds or a What If book, where that is what happened, where Data went off and he perfected his father's work and was able to create bodies that anybody could transfer into. And so in this short story, when Picard, quote unquote, died, he just transferred into a Data body and, well, not a Data body, an Android body. And now he and Data were both immortal tooling around the universe on adventures together. (laughs) <laughs> this is the ending to a lot of Doctor Who episodes, too. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't know that. Hmm. Let, let's keep going chronologically, I guess. Uh, do you want to talk about the closing scene on the La Serena? Yeah. Uh, I love this. This is clearly some time. There's no definitive time, but some things have happened since then. Like, uh, Soji mentions the synth ban is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is clearly time for some relationships to develop uh, or further develop. Like uh, Dorati and Rios are very close now in public about it. And um, there was a great little uh, moment between that I adored and I on Twitter that morning when I watched this, I was like, oh my God, 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 oh my God. And like, please someone watch this, please someone watch this. Um, Seven and Rafi holding hands. Uh, playing Kalto. Oh, were they playing a game? I didn't notice that. Yeah, they were playing the game that was introduced on Voyager that uh, Tuvok and Seven would play a lot, Kalto. Oh, that's a nice bit of continuity there. Yeah, and there they were. They were holding hands. And how did that make you feel, Sabriel? <laughs> Being a very gay woman, uh, I was extremely happy. And I was like, it took me everything I could to not just tweet storm about this on Thursday morning when I watched it because I didn't want to spoil it. That night I shared the picture on uh, <laughs> Twitter. And then I watched it again here this morning and it made me all happy. Like I sat there that morning with that picture paused on them holding hands for like an hour and a half that morning while I was doing other stuff that was on my left screen. While I was doing some other stuff, it just made me so happy. Uh, this thing that a lot of people, besides just being there, being very obvious, uh, it confirmed what speculation about Seven and her relationship with Bajazel. Oh, you mean her friend? Yeah, her friend. Thanks, you memory, <laughs> Thank you memory beta writers. <laughs> we'll just... never know what their relationship truly was. Now, pals. <laughs> <laughs> We'd never seen that Raffi swung that way, did we? Uh, no, or it was never blatant. I appreciate that you pointed out that some time must have passed, especially regarding the synth band, because when I saw Seven and Raffi holding hands... I my first thought was that we hadn't seen anything to suggest that there was chemistry or romance there. Those two characters had not had a lot of interaction in the last 10 episodes. So for you to indicate that several weeks have passed and they've had opportunity to interact, that makes them holding hands more believable to me. Yeah, it, 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 there was... As someone who watches for this stuff very closely, <laughs> there was very little... That you could extrapolate, because these two had very little interactions in the main show. Right, right. This also seems to imply pretty strongly to me that 
Seven of Nine is now a main cast member of this show. Yeah, related to that, uh, there there was Michael Shabonik. He answered some questions about this again, and uh, um, people were asking, like, "Oops, oops, I'm on the wrong screen here," because I want to make sure I get this wording exactly right here. Um, someone asked, "Like, can we hope for the Seven Raffi relationship to be explored on season two? And he says, "I hope I don't get in trouble for saying yes," uh, meaning to me, like. She's going to be coming back. Well, there's also a rumor that you were very excited about that there may be a Seven of Nine spinoff in the works. Yeah, uh, there was rumor this week that there's something in the works, but uh, still completely just rumor at this point. But gosh, I would be happy. (laughs) It does seem like they run the risk of oversaturating the Star Trek market with so many other shows also in development, but... If they're going to make another one, I want it to be a Seven of Nine spinoff. Hell yeah, it's a character we already know and whatnot. And you know, in this new day and age of digital media, maybe a spinoff means a series of shorts. Maybe it means, uh, you know, we're just going to implement her. Maybe Star Trek Picard Season 2 is actually more like Star Trek 7. Uh... There could be just many meanings of it, especially since we're so far away from whatever could happen. Uh, right. But if it was a whole seven series and seven Fenris Ranger uh, going around space Texas and dishing up law, <laughs> uh, all the better. Yeah, it could be a limited run, kind of like Heroes Reborn. Or it could be a series of shorts, kind of like uh, the short treks. Or... Not even shorts per se, but even Red versus Blue. They did essentially full episodes between seasons that you didn't necessarily have to watch, but just like short treks, then tied into the main narrative. Yeah. So there are all different ways in this online medium, as you just pointed out, that new shows and new ideas can be explored without necessarily the full commitment that traditional television would require. Right. And you know what? There's something good about this era of streaming and whatnot uh, that I can really appreciate for that. Don't need to do the normal anymore. Right. Yeah, and Lacey Bauer, editor at Televisions, had a great article on StarTrek.com why we need more of Seven of Nine's story in Picard and everywhere else. And she elaborates on how Seven is a kind of broken and violent character that we rarely see in Star Trek women. That you know, she's allowed to be these things that don't fit your traditional stereotype for a female character. And that's good. That's an important uh, kind of diversity and pushing the edge and envelope that Star Trek is doing. And, you know, just because she will kill Bejazel in cold blood, she can still be the hero. And, you know, it, and the fact that she does things like this means she's grappling with her morality and her humanity. And those are important things to do in this day and age. Yeah, uh, I watched a few clips of Voyager. Oh, hell, I watched a couple episodes of Voyager this week. Seeing Seven then and Seven now and how much she has grown. Now she is totally just this, I don't know, laid back is not the right word, but she has embraced her humanity much more. Uh, just the way she acts, her posture and whatnot compared to... Uh, on Voyager, she was still, no, I am Borg, and she stands at full attention. Uh, the way she moves and whatnot is very Borg-like. And here, all these years later, she's much more human. She slouches, and she drinks. 
Uh, she cries. Uh, she's lived a lot in these last 20 years, and I really want to explore that. Now, here's a question that is sincere because I have no answer to it because I haven't watched Voyager in decades. Having just watched those episodes more recently and now watching Picard, do you feel like it is the same character? Uh, to me, it does. Uh, Great. It felt like this feels like a natural progression for me for Seven. After she's back in the Alpha Quadrant, she has no home. She is Borg, but she is not. She still called herself Borg then, too. She still does now. Uh, she's not human. She's Borg. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but she's someone who's doesn't quite fit with the Federation ideals. Never has. She learned a lot from Janeway, but now Janeway's clearly out of the picture in some extent. Anyway, and now she's this is her living her own best life without the guidance of the mother figure that is Janeway. That's awesome. Thank you for that character summary. Because when I ended Voyager. If you had told me back then that this is where Vo- where Seven would end up 14 years later, I would have found that unlikely, because what I would have predicted was something much more traditional and much more pigeonholed, like, oh, she joins Starfleet and becomes a science officer, blah, blah, blah. Like The fact that she is instead of basically a vigilante dueling out justice on the edges of space is amazing. And I love it. Yeah, like what you pictured there, I could see that happening. I could see Star right. Trek, the original Star, you know, that that era of Star Trek writing, do that. But uh, this new era, uh, like, this also makes sense to me. Right, because when Voyager went off the air back in '01, we didn't have female characters like we now have of the current Seven of Nine. So that kind of character would not have existed back then. Yeah, at least nothing hmm. more than a character of the week that wasn't a main character oh that's a good point yeah you know and they would show up and be like oh look at this spectacle of a character look at this outrageous akona let's get rid of him (laughs) or her after one episode exactly exactly (laughs) um leading on back to the card here or um there was nothing i didn't even question this but i was reading shabon's answers here someone's like what became of narek that's a good point. I had yes, and he says, "I yeah. I wondered that too." See me, I for me, I forgot all about it once he's off the camera. <laughs> but uh, Chapone said, uh, uh, "We know, we know." The casualty of the editorial process. The intention was for him to be taken into Federation custody. And so, okay, so. I I find that satisfying. Me too. Uh, like some of this stuff, like it is open now, it could change, but I feel like this is our intent. It cut on the cutting room floor. Sorry about that. Uh, and the same happened with Gerardi. Someone asked, will she face legal punishment? And he wrote, oh, that's she right. will put herself in the hands of the law. Uh, you know, but seven is there. Is that what he means? I don't think he's trying to be cheeky. Maybe he is. But, uh, and uh, there, there were a few things here that I felt were good answers to things I didn't realize I had. Uh, huh. You had a question about, I think it was you. Questioning about uh, Deanna sensing emotions from the androids. Yeah, because she felt it with Data and Lore, but she didn't feel it with these new generation of androids. Uh, he had an answer for that in this. Thing. Oh, what was it? The, his words here, quote, The emotion ship and the creation of Soong androids encountered by Troy represent an earlier approach to android emotional engineering. I think Troy, or any Bezoid, could be trained to read the emotions of the current generation. Uh, he also uh, 
uh, someone else added, like, recall the species. There are species the betazoids can't read, like the Ferengi. So maybe it's just a different level of emotional reading they need to learn. <laughs> okay, I'll allow that. As, as far as Narek, I had a couple of questions about him. First of all, I was glad to hear him call himself a washed-out Jatvash, <laughs> because I was trying to figure out if he actually was Jatvash. I had pointed out that everybody we saw on the grief planet was a woman, and I made I, I wondered if that meant that he couldn't be Jatvash. The fact that he's washed out Jatvash still leaves that question in my mind, but it implies that he was Tal Shiar, but not Jatvash. I missed this the first time, the second viewing. He says they allude that he was a disgrace to his family due to his yes. beliefs and this, the part of the disgrace to his family. I don't, I didn't, I missed the first time or forgot. Yeah. I had to turn on the captions in that scene when he was talking to his sister in the board cube, because they were using some Romulan names that I didn't understand. And so I picked up on the fact that he was the family disgrace, the washed out Jatvash. And apparently he had some honor to reclaim if Romulans have such a thing. And yet it was all an act in the end. He didn't want to blow up the synth homeworld after all. Yeah, he had some bouncing around. Like, who is he siding with here? Like, Nerissa? Uh, like, our, our crew? Like, and uh, it seems like he I mean, I mean, was actually with the crew. Yeah, I mean, the Jadvash and Starfleet had a common goal, which was preventing the annihilation of all organic life. But they had different ideas about how to go about doing it. And so I feel like Narek shared that goal, but he changed his mind about how to accomplish it. And I don't know if that's because he actually did love uh, Soji. That's the only thing I can think of. Because back on the board cube, even though he did try to kill her, I think he did actually love her. Oh, he bawled when he thought he was killing her. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, is it a real emotion? And we also, and, and this I think is important. It's an important distinction. We find out that he did not, in fact, kill a synth in order to escape the town. No, it was uh, um, Sutra. Right. And I think that is important for his character. I mean, yes, he contributed to her murder, but it gives him a little bit more wiggle room with which to be redeemed because he hasn't actually killed anybody in the entire season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's a very good point uh, when you put it that way. Like, he... Hmm. You know, this, this whole season, I was—I mean, I will talk more into this later, next time, but like, I never really cared about this character. I don't know. Never really spoke to me. But uh, there is more there, clearly, but it just never spoke to me at that level. But I'm glad you pointed it out, because that adds more depth to this character. It makes me appreciate him more. Good. Yeah, I, I feel like he got off to a rough start. And the fact that he was in all these weird situations where he's killing his lover and he's one of the Hansy twins, there was a lot to unpack there. Not all of it made sense, but I feel like in the end, it started to become a little clearer. I did wonder, though, when he started throwing rocks at the La Serena. First of all, I love that scene. That was great. I thought that was very clever. But when Rafi and Rios look out the front window and they see him and they say, oh, it's the Romulan boyfriend, they've never met each other before. Because Narek was never on the La Serena, and Rios and Rafi were never on the Borg cube. So this is their first time seeing each other. So how did they know who he uh, was? Yeah, either context, maybe they saw a picture, or 
Yeah, because they didn't put on the ski screen. Uh, this clearly shows that there was something behind the scenes that they somehow recognized him that we are not privy to. Yeah, I mean, maybe they saw him being jailed at the synth town because they were Rafi and Rios oh, yeah. left for their ship prior to Narek escaping prison, but they probably saw him in. Oh, that's what it was. With back when Narek was first brought into town by the androids, saying, "Look what the cat dragged in," that's when they must have seen him. Yeah. So. But I think that's the only interaction they've had. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of that before. Thank you for helping me <laughs> walk through that. Uh, rubber ducking for you. Uh. <laughs> Sabriel, I, would, I know what you mean, but I would never call you my rubber ducky. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> thank you. I, I had to call Shara that the other day. I was talking to her about something, but I was writing this thing, and I'm like, as I'm typing it, I figured it out. Thank you for being my rubber duck. Or something like that. And she was no part of the conversation other than being the one I was typing at at the time. Did you still send her that message? Oh, I mean, I told I cleaned it up, so I wasn't just calling her that. Like, you are like my rubber. <laughs> um. I'm sure she appreciated that. <laughs> um, well, let's. Is there anything else about Narek you want to talk about? Uh, no. Uh, you know, the Romulans. These two Romulans, Nurse and Narek, didn't have much to do. I mean, they were. Narek was important to the episode, but really didn't do much for the episode or in the episode. Well, he certainly tried. He's yeah. the one who provided the explosives that would have worked, but in the end didn't. <laughs> Mecha Soji just catch, launches, throws yep. it up and practically into space. <laughs> A little bomb. I was very... Well, actually, let's not talk about that yet. Narissa... I was surprised a little bit to see that she was on the Borg cube because I really thought she had beamed away. And it's still possible she beamed away within the Borg cube, although that seems unlikely. But I guess when the Borg cube crashed to the planet... That was her opportunity to escape custody and hide out on the cube. Yeah, Chapone answered that one too, lightly. Someone's like, how is she still on the cube? Didn't she warp out? She, he's like, she beamed, not warped, and away, not out. <laughs> <laughs> she beamed. Right. Uh, so apparently she was still around when that thing went crashing to the planet. It did occur to me that it's very fortunate the Borg cube landed right side up. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Maybe it had some kind of stabilizing power still. Yeah, because they're all walking around these catwalks with the occasional safety rail and interacting with consoles, and they're all vertically oriented. And wow, I mean, of all the six ways the cube could have landed, it just happened to land that way. Lucky them. There's a scene very early on in the episode that I mentioned before where Elder and Seven are talking. Uh, Narek pops on, but these two have a moment where they're talking about the... Elnar's asking Seven, like, why don't we just kill themselves, basically? And... uh, two things here this leads to the next part where Nerissa and seven fighting but also there's this i found this an interesting moment where the where we get to see the b plot people doing absolutely nothing uh which is something like, like star trek traditionally would just show them the only time they show the things going on is when there's action for a b plot you know or advancing it here we just see them like waiting for their moment to actually happen having a conversation, which I thought was a fun little dynamic. It's like, we're just sitting here being bored, waiting, because they're sitting there, clearly bored. <laughs> Nothing to do. But um, they have, men- Seven mentions, like, should I just kill myself? And then Nerissa, when they're fighting, she clearly overheard this conversation, because she tells Seven, like, you should have just killed yourself. Got this over with. Uh, freaking Romulans are everywhere, and all the nicks and crannies listening to what you're doing. <laughs> Oh, you know, I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that Narissa was calling back to that conversation. I thought she was just trash-talking, but you're right. That's two 
much of a coincidence. Yeah, I thought that the first time I watched it. The second time, I'm like, wait a minute, that's the exact same wording Seven just used. So she was there listening. I was, again, for like the third time this season, disappointed that the Borg Cube didn't do more because they were talking about getting the offensive weapons yeah. online, and they briefly did to target La Serena, but not to target any of the Romulan ships. So I was like, like, I mean, maybe when there's 200 ships, it's pointless, but it feels like <laughs> old Star Trek would have tried anyway. I feel like even a broken Borg Cube is a match for 200 Romulan ships. <laughs> I know, right? Uh feels like either something hit the cutting room floor or this sucker was using a lot of power just to try to detect the La Serena, La Serena, the ship, uh, <laughs> or something that's going on here. Because, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, three episodes in a row, the Borg Cube did nothing other than beef cannon fodder or a place setting. Right. I mean, the Borg Cube is so critical, supposedly, that it made its way into the opening theme of the Picard show. And yet... It was nothing really more than a setting. Maybe that shows. Maybe that was another level of showing that the Borg are not as tough as we think they are. At least when they are not in the collective format. And we still don't know definitively that there is a collective. Correct. But it did at least give Picard the opportunity to reflect on his time as Locutus and to have something to talk to Seven about. And Seven, of course, was a critical character in the entire series, in my opinion. So. I guess if the Borg Cube brings all that into the plot, then in that way, it served its purpose. We may see more in Season 2. Uh, oh! Why do, you th- why do you say that? Again, the Shabone interview. Uh, oh. uh, he didn't say it right, but someone said, I wish they had been... I wish more had been done for JL advocating for the XBs. Was it cut, or is it seed for Season 2? And Shabone answers... It would be a good thing for them and for him. So maybe well, good. there's some hypothesis season two be more Borg focused. I wonder how Picard feels about the fact that he is now an android. The closest he's ever come to being an android before is when he was Locutus. Yeah, maybe there's some. Maybe season two. He's feeling good right now because he's still alive, but. Uh, right. Or in some sense, but season two, maybe he's like. I have to think about this some, some more. Because <laughs> yeah. he was just talking to Seven about how he fights every day to reclaim his humanity, and now, technically, he has none. Yeah. Android entity. <laughs> Vulgarity. <That's right. laughs> well, I love that in some of the Star Trek novels, it's like, instead of talking about a humanoid life form, the Cardassians talk about a Cardassioid life form. Does that make sense? You know, I mean, it's the same... So, yeah, it's the exact same idea, but... Why would they, of course, refer to a humanoid? I never thought of it that way. So, oh gosh, and you know, so we were talking about the La Serena facing off against 218 Romulan ships. Let's talk about that battle scene with. Well, there are more important things, but I want to talk about. I didn't realize just how big those flowers were. I know. Again, they show the the super tech of launching. All of a sudden, they are in space, <laughs> and also right. they are massive. <laughs> like maybe there's different sizes. Yeah, like the. Yeah, the Romulans, when they first showed up, there were no space flowers, and all of a sudden there were space flowers. And when they start expanding and exploding, they take up the entire battlescape. Yeah, they just start swapping their little flower tendril things all over, smacking ships around. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Although, as you've pointed out before, in Star Trek, battles are often two-dimensional. It doesn't seem like anybody made much of an attempt to go around the flowers. <laughs> it's like, that's hard to like... 
it doesn't make for good television. But yeah, like no, this is a very 2D fight uh, yet again. Yeah, if you're going to barricade somebody or uh, siege them, it's much easier to do in two dimensions. <laughs> Such two-dimensional thinking. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and also, Commodore O has so many planetary sanitization <laughs> one of, styles. One of my few notes. <laughs> wow, she is hardcore. If, if you don't know what I mean, she says to her, to her fleet, she's like, Commence planetary sterilization pattern five. Like, what happened? No one through four. There are a one through four. <laughs> right. One for every situation, I guess. And they've done this before. Wow. Um, that is. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Commodore <laughs> O, and you were talking about putting the subtitles on earlier. Mm-hmm. There was a moment very early in the episode when she first appears to be evil, menacing Overlord, uh, that. It call, instead of O, it called her Nader. N-A-D-E-R. Oh. No, no, Nader. <laughs> that's, that's not what I meant, <laughs> but nicely played. <laughs> N-A-D-E-R. Yeah. I'm looking that up in Memory Alpha now, and it, uh, there are no hits. It didn't happen again, and it may have been a mistake, or maybe that's her Romulan name instead of her uh, fake super agent name. That's a good question. I mean, when I, I'm, I'm googling it now because there's nothing in memory alpha except for a Cardassian named N A D O R, and that's not the same thing at all. Uh, N A D E R, you yeah. said. So interesting. Yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing in here. It could be that just, um, it was like a preliminary before they were doing the sub, the, the, the subtitles. Maybe it was a early name for the character, or something that was. I don't cut. know. I mean, we really don't know. It might be a mistake. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check that out. That's really interesting. Nice catch. So I... Well, Picard had this grand idea. Actually, let me take that back. Give credit where it's due. Agnes Gerardi had a great idea to replicate the Picard maneuver. <laughs> I, have, I have two comments about this. One, I'm really surprised that a cyberneticist who had never left Earth knows about the Picard maneuver. I was weird, interesting for Girati, but it feels like the legends of Picard have apparently spread <laughs> through uh, the Federation. I just had this great idea. What if after he retired, there's like a, a, a television show with dramatic reenactments of all his greatest moments, <laughs> like the young adventures of J.L. Picard? And uh, yeah, a weekly series that happens. Like, That's right. Some weak ones, but there's some really good ones, too. <laughs> maybe that's it um, and I love that she said like oh you made the Enterprise appear in two places he's like it was the stargazer <laughs> please get your facts right uh, and then they made this big deal about doing that and it, I feel like the time that it was actually effective was less than the time it took to set it up yeah it clearly lasted longer than it showed on, team, on camera uh, but yeah, yeah uh, using the, the magical space wand uh, to make things just appear out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah, I, I wish we had seen more dogfighting, more confusion among the Romulans. I mean, I realize that if they're trying to hold out for a Starfleet to arrive, they can't show that entire delay, but it just seemed a little of an underwhelming strategy once executed. Yeah, but then, but then, uh, right. clearly telegraphed <laughs> Riker return. 
Yeah, I honestly didn't think Starfleet was going to show up, but when they did, I was like, it's got to be Riker. And here he was. He was a smarmy little ass <laughs> in the best ways possible. No, it was- he, was, he was so Riker. Yep. I loved him so much. The, the toughest, fastest ship that Starfleet has ever sent into space, and I have a whole fleet of them. And that was a hell of an impressive fleet, especially <laughs> given that they don't have Utopia Planitia anymore. Yeah, so they have apparently made up for that. Yeah, I was wondering if he was an admiral, but he said he was acting captain, which I guess is his current rank for this mission, so that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, it was just a, a great moment, and I loved. I wish I could see more of the inside of the ship that he was on because it looked amazing. You know, he said like basically he told Picard like I wasn't going to let you do this alone. So basically, the instant Picard left, Rector's like, "All right, Deanna, I gotta go back to work." Uh, sounds like he was been working on this since the instant Picard left, which isn't very long. Yeah, he actually he must have had some communiques with Starfleet where he was like. Keep an ear out for Picard. You're going to be hearing from him. When you do, I want to be the first person you tell. But don't answer him. Let's make it dramatic. <laughs> but, and I loved his moment where he said, what, do you think I was going to hide out in the woods making pizza? <laughs> I'm like, that's exactly what you were doing, Riker. <laughs> it was just great. Was I loved it. It was fun. And he said his goodbye to Picard, too. Yeah, I mean, he didn't know it would be the final goodbye, but I love that he said goodbye, friend. Yeah. And this goes back to everything we talked about in the episode where they were in the woods making pizza, which is where they have such affection and such camaraderie that even when they are both in a military situation, acting in their official capacities, they're still friends. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. That that was really touching to me. Uh, I, I just, I love those two together. They're great. Um. So... Picard. Yeah. I mean, in the scene, too. Uh, just before the Starfleet shows up. The Starfleet. Um, well, hell, gosh, I have two... We're getting long here, because we focused on the more major parts of the episode, but there's a uh, little things I want to touch on then here. Uh, know somewhat how to act around children. He tells them, I gotta teach them a lesson. Uh, uh, basically, he... he um, cause, because, I love this line, fear is an incompetent teacher. But he has to show children, give children a lesson. That's what he, the androids are kind of like. And he went by by leading by example. And he showed them. He, he came up here to sacrifice his life for them. I thought that was very powerful. He told Soji, like, I want to give you uh, something to you and your people, Soji. My life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the greatest gift you can give anybody. And he was willing to make that sacrifice for her. And I was a little surprised that it made an impression on her because she was willing to call forward an alien race that would kill Picard and everybody like him. Yeah, I was very wrong about Soji last week. I thought she was just doing this to get on Sutra's side. Well, Sutra had barely nothing to do here except fall over, turned off. But she was actually siding with the synths. You and I were both fooled. We both thought that Soji was on Picard's side, and she was not. Or at least, Very disappointing. Or at least she was more on the side of Synths if she wasn't on Picard's side. Uh, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I was fooled by that. I thought different. But uh, the second thing we mentioned with Picard is he still, like I said before, he still considers himself Starfleet, and it shows here again. Soji made a comment about how Starfleet wants her people dead, and Picard says, we won't, we don't. 
we won't. We trust you to make the right choice. Uh, that's just- yeah, if, if we wanted you dead, we'd be siding with the Romulans facing you. Instead, we're standing between them and you. And I'm wondering, why did Starfleet do that? Because the last time they encountered synths was, you know, Beautiful Flower and Janna, and they murdered them in cold blood. And he- they've also banned all synths. So when they first went find out that there is an actual homeworld of synths, they choose to defend it. And you could say that's because Commodore O was pulling the strings and that's been revealed. But I'm not sure that 14 years of policy can be rolled back that quickly. Maybe O did have more to do with it. But because uh, she was a town of intelligence, intelligence makes things scary when you, when you want things to not be a problem. Um, but also we see Picard planting seeds in uh, the Bad Merles back home uh, throughout the season. <laughs> and so maybe there was enough there where Starfleet's like, you know what? We're Starfleet. Yeah, and even Commodore O was convinced and she stood down and warped away. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the villain sat there and listened to the whole spiel, which is great, instead of like, all right, you keep talking, we're going to keep going with Plan 5 here. <laughs> Right. Well, Picard said, do it on open channel. He wanted Commodore O and all the admirals to hear everything. And I'm not sure the Jat Vash are disbanded. I think, you know, like she, Commodore O had even said, at last, all our work will be completed or something like that. But no, all you're doing is eliminating this threat of artificial intelligence. There's always a chance that other artificial intelligence will evolve elsewhere in the universe and will make that beacon call. Yeah. Although, all they really have to do is destroy the grief planet, and then nobody will know how to call those aliens. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. It wasn't exactly a beacon, though, because like a beacon is a signal, and you, once you turn that off, the signal's still been received. What they were actually doing was opening a portal, and that's different, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, they had the sky beam that's been so popular for the last 10 years or so in TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's especially strange because those aliens the synthetic federation or whatever you want to call it have been to our galaxy before they created the admonition and the grief planet and the eight suns. So it's not like they don't know where we are. Yeah. Um, so question mark, or maybe it's just like, yeah. like, like, well, we'll just check on these ants again later, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe even if they know where we are and even if they know that the synths exist, maybe they are like, well, the synths chose not to call us and we'll only come when they're ready. So maybe that was it. That's the mo- Even though I don't necessarily find that satisfying, it's the most satisfying answer I can come up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you had wondered if control was related to this storyline. Does Michael Chabon have something uh, to say about that? Kind of. He's not <laughs> quite. Uh, someone asked, are the evolved AI beings the same who altered the probe or alter the probe in Discovery? Not April. April, you know, like it went to the future and came back. Right, right. And he, all he said was, if so, it's news to me. So it seems like the control slash future aliens who affected the probe slash uh, whatever are unrelated. Or if some future writer uh, decides to go with it, sure. But it was not the intent here. And when you were talking about modified probe, I know which one you mean, but I originally thought you meant Vidger, and that was supposedly <laughs> modified by the Borg, right? Uh, in non-canon, yeah. Right. Okay, so many modified probes. <laughs> so hard to keep track. So, 
Okay. Uh, anything else in the space battle scene we want to cover? Um, Riker kicking butt. Flowers kicking butt. Romulans are <laughs> uh, kicking less butt. Uh, there's a lot of butt, but I think <laughs> we're good. Cool. Okay, well, it, and this. Go ahead. Uh, it does highlight Gerardi was willing to sacrifice herself with Picard to go up there in the ship alone to try to stop 200 some ships. That says something about her character. Oh. That's true. Like before, she was hiding under the desk saying, let it, please let it be over. And here, she's doing her best to be a navigator, essentially. Yeah. Uh, she was ready to give her life for the cause. Uh, mm-hmm. She's progressed a lot since the beginning of the season. Which was interesting because when Alton said to her, This is an incredible gesture of self sacrifice you're making for your children, I. I mean, she disputed privately, they are not my children, and I agree with that. I wasn't quite sure what he meant by self-sacrifice, because what was she giving up? She was giving up, uh, basically, (laughs) the human, or or all life, to help the synths progress, evolve to a new plane. I guess, I mean, she was turning her back on humanity, but that's... When you have a warp sense, like a sense, uh... (laughs) No, I mean, I have to agree that's what he means, but only because of, again, lack of better alternatives. Yeah. I thought it was an odd turn of phrase is all. So. so we've talked a lot about the second half of this episode. And as you pointed out, this podcast is running long. I, For me, there wasn't anything in the first half that is worthy of commentary from me. I, I loved it and I liked it, but... Is there anything that you want to point out? No, because I mean, like the meat of it was the last half. I, I point, I poked some things here, like the Elnor Seven conversation. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Narek and uh, Rios and uh, Rafi on the ship, but uh, no, the meat, the heart of the episode was the latter half. And so, like, yeah. the first part was just setting the little seeds to get the action going, um, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, we don't really need to talk about. Agnes Gerardi pulling an eyeball out of an android. No, she, it, it's, it's just something that happened. Yeah, unless we want to do a character analysis episode. Uh, <laughs> Although I do wonder, were the uh, optical scanners just queued for any android? In which case, why did they even have them? Uh, it was weird. <laughs> I mean, this, this moment so. when she did pull out the eye, she's sitting here like, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, being very Gerardi. <laughs> Uh, yeah. One thing we should talk about is what the Latin name of these two-part episodes mean. Yeah, we were going to talk about this last week and totally forgot. <laughs> so it translates literally to, even in Arcadia, there am I. Arcadia being a city. And when it says, there am I, the speaker of that phrase is death. So death is saying, even on Arcadia, there is death. And my best interpretation of that, not being at all any sort of scholar of 1960s uh, French Baroque art, (laughs) which is the name of this painting, uh, is that no matter where you go, even in a so-called perfect world of synths, which Alton discovered in this episode, they are not better than him, but he thought they were, even there, there is death. Even there, there are androids killing each other. Even there, there is strife. So it wasn't quite the utopia that we thought a civilization of synthetic life forms might be. Well, here that also answers the Federation problem we talked about in the past. Which is? Gene Ronberry saw this as a utopia. And D Space Nine and uh, Picard showed that this utopia has some cracks in it. Yes. So I guess the episode really should be et in Federation ego. <laughs> Alas. 
Anything else before we close out? Uh, uh, Rafi 7, Rafi 7. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we really could have just ended there an hour ago. <laughs> so, so, oh, one more thing I wanted to bring up. Well, actually, no. Let's talk about that next week. Because what we're going to be talking about next week is the entire season in its entirety, which I guess is redundant. Mm-hmm. But just like with Discovery, we did a season recap where we talk about how has the show changed where do we think these characters are going next season? We're going to be doing that next week. So instead of talking about just episode 10, we'll look at episodes 1 through 10 in their entirety and review those. We'll have some special guests here on the show that you've heard before. Yay, indeed. We love guests. We love our friends. And even after that, we will continue to talk about Discovery when season 3 debuts, which we still don't have a time for. Soon. Oh, did you see the little teaser at the beginning? At the beginning of what? Uh, this episode of Picard, they had like a five-second teaser, ten-second teaser for season three. Did it show for how you viewed it? No, the CBS All Access app on my Apple TV did not show that. Oh, yeah, I won't say but, if you want, don't want. To. It was not a single scene from the episode, from the show, but it was just a five, ten-second little blurb. Well, I will speak to you about that offline about whether or not it meets my spoiler ban. Cool. All right, until then. Nothing but bluebirds all day long. Aw, that's sad. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. I still want to talk about Data Dine. Oh, yeah, if you have more. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I thought you were kind of wrapping it up. Let's go back.